0: started last week, um, the series, Our Fight, and it's all about spiritual warfare. Um, I just told you about some spiritual warfare I went through with Dustin's grandmother, right? That was some spiritual warfare. Um, I hope his family is not watching this, um, but they're still friends with my family, so I'm sure someone will send it to them, and I'll get in trouble. But, um, but spiritual warfare is a real thing, and last week we, t- we started the series... By talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. We talked about the fact that, that yes, demons are real and we understand that. But we also talked about how God is real too. And that God is more powerful than any spiritual issue that we come in contact with. And so we talked about how to balance that out in our life. And so today we're going to continue on. Someone's going through some spiritual warfare right there. Poor Josh. Poor Josh. Um, So today we're going to continue on with this series, and we are using Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And so what we did last week is we took one of those verses, we kind of honed in on that verse. Today we're going to back up. Normally, if I go through a passage of Scripture, I start at the top and I work my way down. Today... Uh, we're doing it different. We're starting at the bottom and working our way up. And then in the last one that we do, we'll go all the way down to the very bottom. So anyways, we're all over the place. It's okay. Ephesians chapter six, go ahead and turn there if you would. Um, verse 10 is where we're going to start. It says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So that's our scripture basis for the whole series. Um, But today we're going to focus on one word and and that comes out of verse 11 so if we could go back to verse 11 it says this put on all of god's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil so that word strategies there has a meaning to it in the greek i looked it up and this is where we're going to find our uh title for today's message is satan's Strategies, And so I want you to understand today, what does the Bible mean when it talks about strategies. So so here's what it says. Uh, when I look that word up in the Greek, it says this methods um, or it says predictable methods, schemes, uh, deceit. Uh, in, in other words, uh, the word, the Greek word is methodia, which is the same root word that we get the word method from. So in other words, whenever we see the word schemes or strategies in there, what the Bible is telling us is, is that Satan has a predictable method that he operates according to. And we know this, that he does not deviate from his plan. As a matter of fact, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis in just a second. But if you study God's scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see a very similar pattern that Satan is constantly working. Now, he may put a different skin on it. He may put a different packaging on it, but it's the same poison all the way throughout scripture. And so it's very important for us today to understand that because Paul says... He, he says that we've got to stand firm against the strategy of the devil. But if we don't understand the strategies of the devil, then what are we standing firm against? How do we know what to be combating? Have you ever noticed that Christians were very good about boycotting stuff? You notice that? I mean, we boycott everything. I mean, we're boycotting Target and we boycott Disney and, and, and we boycott Walmart. Eventually, it's going to come down to the, to the time where we're going to boycott everything and we're going to have to grow our own food. And some of us are going to starve because I can't grow anything. And, if, and the things I probably could grow, I wouldn't like to eat anyway. And so we got to understand, like, people are always standing firm against stuff. But I think sometimes we stand firm against things without understanding what it is we're standing firm against. And so then we just stand against everything, and then we see our, pad, our patterns begin to suffer. We go up and down, and, and we're boycotting Target this week until they come out with a good sale, and then we're right back in there. Well, if you were boycotting it last week and they didn't change, why did you? See the, see the problem that we get into? So I think sometimes we need to understand what it is that we're fighting against. What are the schemes of the enemy that we're fighting against? And then we know what to stand firm against. And so that's what we're going to go into today. So, so I just kind of want to give you a little bit of the, the history of this. And, and I'm going to apologize in advance. The very first part of this message, the, the first two-thirds of this message is going to be kind of nerdy. Um, I got way into studying this, and I even enlisted the help of, of Jill Byron. She helped me study for this, um, which was a mistake because Jill's just as nerdy as I am. And, um, and we just have, like, packets of information. And I told Jill, I said, I hope you know like of all the pages of information that you printed off, I may not use very much of it because I only have about 40 minutes to preach. And she said, I totally understand. I just love looking this stuff up. And I was like, me too. So anyways, I just want to apologize. If you're not into like nerdy preaching, today's not your day. Um, But but just hang on, hang on. We'll be practical in just a minute. So I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter three. Hey, Perry, will you get my water under that chair right there? Genesis chapter three, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and, um, and what we want to do is we want to look at the very first, I, I love Genesis three. I love the temptation of Adam and Eve. Um, as I've preached, uh, over the years, I've just really come to find that if you can get back to the book of Genesis, you can find out a lot about uh, the patterns of the world. You can find out a lot about the patterns of God. You can find out a lot about the patterns of the enemy and you can see the story of God as it develops uh, if you can learn about the book of Genesis. So I love Genesis. I love this story. It teaches us so much. So uh, Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. Um, and, and what we're gonna do is as we read through this passage, I'm gonna pick out some of the main schemes of the devil. And, and then later on, we're gonna package all that together and let you see what it looks like. So, so it says it's the serpent uh, who we know from later on is Satan. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, uh, that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked a woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Uh, of course we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. We're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the servant replied to the woman. We're going to stop right there. The first scheme of, of Satan is to do this. He likes to manipulate God's word and he likes to imitate God's works. He likes to manipulate God's word And he likes to imitate God's works. And so you need to understand today, um, in in everything that Satan's going to try to do to attack us as human beings, uh, he's going to always manipulate God's word. He's going to take God's word and twist it and turn it. And so you see what he did with Eve. He said, did God really say? Right. So so Eve is given this option. Uh, Adam and Eve, they can eat of any fruit in the entire garden, any tree in the entire garden. But there's one tree they're not allowed to eat from. And that's the one tree Satan begins to tempt them with. And here's what he says. Did God really say? And then she said, God said we would die. And he says, you're not going to die. So he begins to manipulate the very word of God. And we can see that today. You can see that all over the place. All you got to do is turn on YouTube and, and look up different preachers and you can see the word of God being manipulated left and right. And so he likes to manipulate God's word. He likes to imitate God's works. And so we'll see that in just a second. Verse five, it says this, God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, Satan throws this in because Satan's scheme is always to give you a promise. So he's going to manipulate God's word, but he's always going to give you some kind of promise to go along with that. And in this case, it's like God. He wants to imitate the works of God and God always gives us promises. So Satan wants to give us promises as well. He says, you're going to know both good and evil and you will be like God. That term there is huge. That's a big draw for Eve. I get to be like God. So we, we skid down to verse six. It says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit was delicious, looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Another one of Satan's schemes today is is the scheme of uh, of covetous, covetous co- coveting. There we go. We just change it up coveting greed desire all of these words mean the same thing right to covet something means to want something that i don't have it's something that you have that i desire and i want to get it right and so it's wanting something that you're not supposed to have so the bible talks about uh you can covet someone else's wife that leads to adultery right you covet you you want something that you're not supposed to have eve is told you can have anything you want except one thing. And that's the one thing that she goes after. Why? Because Satan appeals to that greed inside of her. When we think of the word greed, we think of money, and we often think of rich people. Can I tell you something today? Rich people aren't always the greedy ones. A lot of times rich people already have what they want, A lot of times it's the poor people that can also be greedy because whenever you get into a poor person that desires wealth but can't achieve it, then greed sets into their heart and they're willing to lie, cheat or steal to get whatever it is that they want. So don't just picture rich and greed together. All of us, the whole spectrum of humanity has the ability to be greedy. Why? Because it it comes from that word covet to to desire something that you can't have. And so Satan is going to manipulate us. He's going to use that desire to draw us away. Verse seven at that moment. Oh. Yeah, so they ate the fruit in verse six, verse seven. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. Earlier earlier in the Bible, the Bible says that man and woman were naked and not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. They were pure, they were innocent. Um, Even in their sexuality, they were pure and they were innocent. But I want you to notice what Satan does. As soon as they eat the fruit, as soon as they uh, fall to to his temptation, what happens is he brings shame on something that's supposed to be pure and innocent. And so one of his schemes is to attack our purity, our sex, our gender. That's one of the attacks of the enemy. That's one of his schemes. We're going to skip all the way down to verse 15. So what happens between 7 and 15 is God shows up. And when God shows up, he begins to dole out punishment. On Adam and Eve and the serpent. And here's what he says to the serpent in verse 15. It says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. You will strike his heel. One of the other parts of Satan's scheme is that he is always going to target the youth and the next generation. He's always going to target the youth and the next generation. Have you ever noticed that there's going to come, a, well, maybe you haven't noticed this yet. For those of us that are, that are probably in our 40s or better, um, we, we've all found a style. And once you find a style, you kind of stick with it the rest of your life. I don't know if you know that yet. Maybe you haven't found that style. Some of you guys are young enough to keep changing. And you're still youthful. And you're putting on cool clothes. And, and you're doing all the things. But there's some of us, this is what it is. Right? My church style has become blue jeans and maybe a button up if I have to wear a lapel or a t shirt if I don't have to wear a lapel, right? That's my style. My style is not suits unless I absolutely have to. I only own two suits. That's it i wear them to weddings and funerals, right? Like like there's a style that I get stuck in and it's what I do the rest of my life. But but teenagers, young people, you 20s and 30s, some of you 30s, um, some of you are really old 30s, uh, you're, you're in this phase where you're still easily changeable. You're still moldable. And Satan is always gonna go after the youth and the next generation because God said he would. So we're gonna skip down to verse uh, to chapter four. We're going to continue looking at the schemes here and some of them are going to repeat. And I think it's good. So Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. Once they're kicked out of the garden, they go and they start having kids. They've got two kids at this point, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, um, both have different paths in life. Uh, Cain is a gardener and he loves to garden. He loves to farm, and he grows vegetables, and he grows fruits, and he, he, he's, you know, that's what he loves to do. Abel is a shepherd. Abel loves animals, and so Abel has, uh, you know, lots of animals. Cain has lots of vegetables, and so you know right off the bat which one God hates. He hates the vegetable guy. Absolutely, we know that. So, So here's the story, though. The story goes, they both come to present a gift to God, right? And they're going to present a gift to God. And the Bible says that Abel takes the very best lamb, the firstborn, the choice of his flock, and brings that to God. But it says Cain chose some vegetables. Abel picks out the very best. This is the one I was saving This is the one that was going to be the stud. This is the one that was going to make me money. And I'm giving it to God. Cain looks around and goes, well, here's carrots. Nobody likes those, right? And he brings those to God. They both bring an offering. God looks down. The Bible says that God rejects Cain's offering, but accepts Abel's offering. He rejects Cain's offering, not because it was vegetables, but because it was just some. It was just a leftover. He accepts Cain. I mean, Abel's not because it was a lamb. He accepts it because it was the best. You see the point? Okay. Understanding that. Then we get down to Genesis chapter four, verse six. So verse six says, God speaking to Cain. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Why was Cain dejected and angry? He was dejected and angry because he was greedy. He coveted Abel's acceptance. He didn't covet Abel's lamb. He didn't covet Abel's stuff. He coveted the fact that Abel was accepted and he wasn't. So here's that same scheme working its way. It worked its way into Adam and Eve, and now we're in another generation, and it's working its way through the next generation. Verse 7 says, You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Satan's scheme that we haven't mentioned yet is a new one. It's the scheme of control and mastery. Satan wants to control and master us. He has a desire to rule. He got kicked out of heaven because God wouldn't allow him to rule. He got kicked out of heaven because he thought he was as good as God. And now on earth, he wants to rule someone and he's looking at us. And so anytime we find ourselves in a situation where we can't control ourselves, we can't control our habit, we can't control our our thoughts, we can't control our actions, what's happening? We are giving control to someone else. And Satan's scheme is to control. And God even says that that, uh, Cain has the ability to subdue and master. Cain has the ability to have authority over sin. But he says, if you choose not to have it, then the sin will control you. Let's get to the last one. One day, verse eight, one day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. The last part of Satan's schemes is violence and war. Violence and war. One of the things that I've been um, I, I've been watching and listening to when it comes to this whole Israeli-Palestinian uh, uh, conflict, something that I thought was very interesting to me was a lot of people in America keep saying, "Well, if, if if the Israelis would just give back the land, if they would just give up some land," and and so what we think in in our part of the world is that it's a it's a land dispute. The problem is. If you go and you listen to Hamas and you listen to what they say, their leaders say, their leaders say, we want to kill the Jews. They don't say anything about land. They say everything about Jews. They don't talk about Israel they talk about Jews. They say, we want to kill the Jews. I heard one guy say, um, he, said, he said, we'll take up arms, we'll kill every Jew, we'll kill everyone that associates with the Jews, we'll kill the Americans too. Like, that is their mindset. It's not about land. There's something religious, there's something spiritual happening, and it's not about land. Why? Because one of Satan's schemes is to control and to bring violence and war. It's not about land. And if you can't see that today, you need to pay attention because this is this is where the book of Revelation starts becoming um, opening up to us. The book of Daniel starts opening up to us because we start seeing that that it's never about the things we think it's about. There's always a spiritual battle happening that we can't see. And so with that understanding of 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 those things, we're going to we're going to get down into um, kind of how it shifted from Genesis into the rest of the Old Testament. So from Genesis into the rest of the Old Testament, w- once we get into Israel coming out of Egypt and, and Israel steps into the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, and, and whenever Israel gets into the land of Canaan, you're going to notice that God sends Israel on a war path. And, and one of the things that, that God's war path is, is involved with is the killing or the destroying Of other gods. And he is adamant that Israel not worship these other gods. And so there are three main gods in the Old Testament that I want to talk about the unholy trinity of gods. And these gods in the Old Testament were called Baal, Ashtoreth, and Molech. And I want to just give you a couple of thoughts on these main gods that the Canaanites worship because you're going to see Israel ends up falling to these gods. The book of Judges, the the book of uh, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles into the prophets. You'll see Israel serve God, uh, uh, Jehovah God, and then they're going to fall to one of these other one of these other minor gods, these these false gods. And so I want you to look at some of these. Now, Baal, the, the, the word Baal is, is used in a variety of ways in the Old Testament. Um, but when it speaks of the, the God Baal that was worshipped, it, it, it was a God of control, dominion and mastery. Sound familiar? It sounds like the book of Genesis. Genesis. The goddess Ashtoreth was Baal's partner, usually his, his wife or his sister. There's always a connection between Baal and Ashtoreth in the, in, in the Old Testament in, the, in that time. And, and, and she, was, uh, she was the goddess of war and violence. And the way you worshipped her, you worshipped her through, through, um, through sex with prostitutes at her shrines. And not only that, but there was a lot of transgender issues there because a lot of times the way the men would worship her is to dress up like women and the women would dress up like men. And that's how her priests did. And they, they called her the goddess of transformation because for, for them, it would turn these gender roles around. And so we need to see that that we just talked about what Satan did in the garden and what he attacked in the garden and he wanted to control and he, he wanted to bring, um, bring a curse onto what was pure and what was holy and, and now we see that in this God. And then the third God was the God Molech and the God Molech was a God of, of provision and promise and gain and greed. The problem with Molech was the only way you worship Molech was you had to take your child and they had statues made. And the statue was made with hands out and a belly with a hole in it. And the belly would be full of fire. And you would put your baby in the hands of Molech. And your baby would roll down and into the belly and be burned alive. So Molech was all about child sacrifice. And you may think, well, there's no way the people of God would ever do that. Solomon did that. The Bible says that Solomon married a thousand women, right? 300 wives, 700 concubines, whatever the case was. And God had already told him not to do it because if you do it, you're going you're gonna to fall to these their gods, that you're going to worship their gods. And sure enough, towards the end of Solomon's life, he was sacrificing babies to the god Molech. And so we just need to understand that, that this is a scheme that the devil has throughout time. Now, these gods are more than idols. The, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, verses 16 and 17, it, they're more than just idols. It's more than just wood and stone gods. There's a spirit behind these. And Deuteronomy says this, they stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived to to gods their ancestors had never feared in the new testament we see the same gods under different names as a matter of fact the the god Baal would end up being worshiped by um by the romans and the greeks as the god saturn or the god Kronos. um same god same exact worship same exact style the only difference is they put a new name on him The Romans would come in and they would conquer a territory and they would take the gods you were worshiping and they would just merge that God with their God. We we see uh, this begin to happen. The the Greeks had Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sex. You, You see this pattern throughout time. Paul says this. He says, what am I trying to say in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20? He says, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. So Paul says that the idol is not a a thing, right? The idol is a piece of wood. He says, I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. Paul has this view that there is a spiritual component to the worship of these gods. We can call them myths. We can call them whatever we want to call them. But at the end of the day, it's one enemy and he has a method that travels through time. And every generation, every civilization puts a different mask on it. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You may say, well, we don't worship idols anymore. In 1960s America, we had something called the sexual revolution. What happens when you worship sex? What happens when you worship Ashtoreth? What happens when you worship Aphrodite? You end up pregnant with unwanted babies. So what happens in 1970s? Roe versus Wade. We legalize the killing of those babies. What happens in 1980s? All of a sudden now we have material wealth and gain and greed shoots through the roof. And we no longer become a a nation of producers. We now become a nation of consumers. And America is the greatest consumer in the world. We used to be one of the top producers in the world. Do you see the pattern that happens even in our country today? You can see it happening. You worship the goddess of sex. You end up pregnant. You find a God that will kill that baby for you. And then you get all the gain and the greed. And all the while, one person's in control, and it's not you. It's him. It's him. So let's just overview real quick, and then we're going to move on to the good stuff. The overview is he wants to control us, he will manipulate God's word and fake God's works. He'll use the promise of provision to appeal to our greed. And desire. He'll use the freedom. Of sexuality. Gender and identity. He'll target the youth. And the next generation. And the plan. His plan always results in violence. Because he's at war. He can't defeat God. So he takes out his wrath on us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing he has little time. I want to warn us today. The devil is real. He's not behind every bush, and he's not in every cartoon. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's a spiritual battle that we all face. And if we don't understand what the battle looks like, if we can't see the schemes, if we can't see the pattern and the method that is constantly happening, then what we'll do is be controlled. I'm not saying possessed. I'm not saying that I'm saying controlled by the will of the enemy. And we as Christians, the Bible, uh, there, there was an old, um, there was an old singer one time. His name was Keith Green. And, uh. And Keith was an amazing Christian. He died in a, in a plane crash way too early. And, um, and I used to listen to all of Keith Green's stuff. And so any of you old Christians, you'll, you'll remember Keith Green. But he was kind of a hippie. But, uh, but Keith Green had a song called A Sleep in the Light. "Asleep in the Light. And, and it referred back to, there's a story in the Bible in the New Testament where there was a, uh, Paul was preaching. And, and much like me, he was long-winded, uh, but longer than me. Paul preached through the night. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I start getting some of you guys start, start tapping your watches when I go, when I hit the 30-minute mark to let me know, hey, you don't have much longer. Paul preached, and the Bible says, it was it was past midnight, and he's preaching. And, and there was a young man sitting in a window of the building, and they were in the upstairs floor, and the young man fell asleep, and they didn't have glass in the window, and he fell out the window and he died. Now story gets better. Paul goes out, raises the kid from the dead and sends everybody home. Nope. Goes right back to preaching. Paul is a hardcore preacher. Kid falls out, But in the story, it says that there were many lamps in the room, many lamps in the room. So the kid fell asleep in the light. And what we do as Christians is we, we fall asleep in the light. The Gospel is here; we preach the Gospel every day, we know what god 's Word says, but we tend to lull ourselves to sleep when it comes to the the, the schemes, the methods, the patterns of the enemy and so when we vote for our president, or we vote for people in in office. We don't vote according to the schemes of the enemy to try to stand up against something. We vote according to how we were raised. Bless God, I'm Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm whatever. We don't... (laughs) Let's point our hands right now. I don't know what Nathan and Brooke are doing up there, but... I know that scheme. So what do we do? So what do we do? What do we do with all this information? How do we close this thing out? I've got two scriptures for you today, and we're going we're gonna to bring this to a head. Now, look, honestly, Jill, I'm sorry. Like, I brought this up here because I was like, I might just get into some of this stuff. We've got so much research on these things, and it, it, is, it is amazing to see. the If you look back through the history, it's amazing to see the pattern of the enemy. It really is. It really is. It really is amazing to see, even even in governments. And the, and the Bible talks about uh, principalities and, and, and some level of authority in the spiritual realm. And it's amazing to see even how governments will use things like sex or money to control the population. They'll use it to control the population. And it's sad. And they target young people. You look at what's happening in our schools right now. It's just, I, I was just listening to a... Um, Uh, there's this guy and he goes around from from city hall meeting to city hall meeting um, all over the states and he gets kicked out of every single one of them and he goes in and he begins to, to stand before school boards and he begins to read the books that the school board um, has allowed in the library or the school board uh, has, has said is mandatory reading for the students that are, that are you know, 14, 15, 16 years old or, or even little kids and, and, the, and the books are graphically uh, sexual in nature and as he begins to read them out the school board begins to yell and scream and they have police officers in and take him out of every school board meeting. And he, he talks about it. He says, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm trying to hit every, every place I can go in the nation to try to get the word out. What's happening? There's an indoctrination going on in our young people. And I don't, I don't get political on stage. It's not my game. I don't get into politics. I'm not good with that. But I do see a pattern that's happening in our world, and someone's got to do something about it. So let's see what we do about it. Verse uh, Ephesians 6, we're going back to Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read this one and I'm going to read 1 Peter 5. Okay, so those two, two passages I'm going to read. It says, A final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategy of the devil. Now, I'm going to do God's armor later. We're not going to talk about that today. That'll be a later message. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In other words, Peter is making it known, hey, listen, I need you to stand up. I need you to stand firm. There's a devil out there. He's roaring. He's trying to devour people. But you need to understand it's not just trustful. It's all over the world. So we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters all over the world because this is happening everywhere. So there's three things I want to point out that the Bible says that we need to do in those two passages. Number one, it says, be strong, be strong. We need to be strong in our faith. Peter says that be strong in your faith. Don't be weak in your faith. Let's dive deep into our faith. Let's dive deep into God's word. Let's dive deep into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He says, some of these demons, whenever he was talking about casting out demons, he says, some don't come out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting shows me a relationship. It's a deep dive in my relationship with God. We need to be strong in our faith. Be be strong in faith. That's why we did a series a while back on apologetics. We need to know why we believe what we believe. Don't come at me saying, well, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead because someone's going to come up to you and say Jesus wasn't a real figure. Jesus was an amalgamation of of multiple, uh, you know, uh, Greek philosophers that were put together and he's not a real person. And then you're not going to know what to say. You won't have any proof. Dive deep into understanding your faith, why you believe what it is that you believe. He says, be strong in his power. Be strong in his power. The, the word power there in, in um, Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The, the word mighty power there. Power, um, that, that power means a reserve power. In other words, I've got plenty of juice in the tank. And when Paul says, be strong in the power of the Lord, he's saying you need to take the same power that he has and not just have it in reserve. But now with might, you need to go forth in it. You need to operate in the power of God. It's not just something in reserve. It's not something I just pray about. It's something I act on. It's something I live. This morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to give you that chance. You need to be strong in the Lord. Maybe you've come to church for a number of years. Maybe you've come to this church for a number of years and you've never actually submitted your life to Jesus Christ. We want to give you that chance today at the end of service. I'm going to have some people come down here for prayer. And if that's you, you slip down out of your seat and you come down and they'll pray with you about that. But you need to be strong in his power or we're going to fall to the strategies of the enemy. The second thing we got to do that it says in those scriptures, both of them, it says be alert, be aware that that word alert there means to be sober minded. It means free from intoxication, presence of mind, self-control, not easily manipulated by sin. We need to keep ourselves in a place of awareness. Not easily manipulated. Listen, why does the Bible talk about? I know I know. we talk about drinking sometimes, and says okay to drink or not okay to drink, and the Bible says Jesus turned water into wine, and, and I know what it says in the Old Testament, so there's places where it says it's okay to drink, but it never once says it's okay to be drunk. And I don't know what drunk means to you. I've never been drunk outside of uh, being in the hospital and taking morphine, and that's probably as close as I'm going to get to it. I was lit up. <laughs> and I don't know what you do when you get drunk, but... I was talking, right? The point is this. In that state of mind, I had no control. I told this story a while back, and I'll tell it real I don't have a watch on, so I can preach as long as I want. Um, when I was in the hospital, when I, was in the hospital um, I told this story, I think, last week. They found a mass on my heart. Let's get past that part. But there was a mass on my heart. The way I found out they'd given me the mass, I mean, that I had the mass, was they'd given me morphine. And as I can feel my soul leaving my body, the doctor comes in and starts saying, Mr. Wright, we found a mass on your heart. We're not sure if it's cancer. And as soon as he said the word cancer, it was like I fell asleep, but I didn't want to. I was clawing and fighting to wake up. I needed to know what is he saying, and I'm fighting to stay up, and I just could not... I was out, right? And and what happens is if we live in a place where we are constantly giving control away, then the enemy has access to manipulate us. Don't give control away. Don't give control away. And not just talking about drugs and alcohol. In in life in general, don't lose control over your mind and over your heart. How do I do that, Gabriel? The Bible says in in, uh, Corinthians, when Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he says one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in your life is the manifestation of the discerning of spirits, that I can discern what's right and what's wrong. I can discern if this is from God or not from God. The third thing, and this is our final one, and we're going to shut it down, is this. We need to stand firm. It says multiple times, stand firm. What does it mean to stand firm to stand firm means to have strong convictions, to have a standard of living and you don't back down from that. Yeah, but everybody's got different convictions and this person can watch this TV show and that person can can drink this and everybody's got different convictions. Yeah, everybody can have different convictions. But listen, we have one standard and that standard is God's word. That standard is God's word. And, and listen, the, the more firmly I stand on God's word, the more like God's word I become. So you may have a conviction today that you may not have tomorrow. Tomorrow may be different. Tomorrow may be stronger. There's been TV shows I would watch when I was younger. And nowadays I wouldn't watch them again. Why? Because my convictions have grown about what I want to allow in my life. My convictions change. My standards change. It's not that I'm trying to be holier than now, It's that I'm trying to stand firm and not give the enemy a place in my heart and in my life. There's two verses I'm going to read. I didn't put them on the screen this morning because I added these right at the end. Why don't you stand up with me this morning as we read these verses? I love them. The first one's good. The first one says this, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord... Uh, that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Bible says we need to be steadfast and immovable. My next verse is, is 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, And I've got a small group that I, that I participate with. It's a bunch of guys. And, and, um, and so we're constantly on text threads all the time. So for those guys, I want you to hear this. This is a good verse for us. It says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. I love it. Paul says, act like men, stop being boys, right? For you ladies out there, be a woman, be mature, stand firm in your faith, be watchful. Look out for those around you. Listen, I've got three kids in my home. I've got to take this stuff serious because the enemy is after the next generation. And if I don't take it serious, he's coming after my kids. He wants to control them. He wants to use their desires and their greed. He wants to manipulate their sexuality and their gender. He he wants to come at them like a flood. He wants to build in violence and war in their hearts. Maybe not to kill but to be mean and hurt other people. Today, we got to stand firm. we got to stand firm. In how we live and how we carry ourselves, we stand firm. Amen? I've got some friends that are come down. If you're on the prayer team, I want you to come on down to the front. I just want to pray for you real quick, and and we're going to just close out the service with prayer, and then my dad will come back up in a minute, and he'll take up an offering and dismiss us all, but... But as Pastor Jonathan sings, we're going we're to ask you to come down for prayer. If you need prayer for anything, we want to invite you down to this place, it's a safe place you can come down and get prayer this morning. And God, I just pray for every heart in the room, God. We understand today, today, as we learn about the schemes of the devil, as we learn about the methods, the, the, the predictable methods of, of the enemy, God, I pray that you would begin right now to open up our eyes, make us watchful and sober-minded. God, open up our eyes as we watch the news, as we talk to people, as we look around our nation, as we look around our family and our community. God, open up our eyes to the schemes of the enemy. Now that we know them, we're responsible for them. And God, help us to stand firm against them. Help us to be strong in our faith. God, help us to pray uh, against these attacks of the enemy. And God, as we continue in this series, God, help us to learn how to attack, how to defend. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. We just invite you right now to touch our hearts and our lives. If if you need prayer for anything this morning, whether it's something I preached about or something totally different, as we sing, I want you to slip out of your seat and come down to the front and let us pray with you.